This is Dr. Adrian Lepristi. Join me for Bioceuticals Clinical Mastery, the triad of sleep, stress and immune dysfunction on July 13, where I'll lead you through the various psychological, biological, lifestyle and environmental causes of sleep disturbances. I will also showcase the assessment tools that practitioners can use to identify poor sleep, as well as the evidence-based treatment options that I use every day for stressed, anxious and sleepless patients. Go to bioceuticals.com.au to reserve your place today. And welcome to FX Medicine, where we bring you the latest in evidence-based, integrative, functional and complementary medicine. I'm Dr. Michelle Woolhouse, an integrative GP, and joining us on the line today all the way from California is James Maskell, author, community builder and healthcare entrepreneur. James, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me back on the show all the way from California. (laughs) So, James, you have long championed a blend of functional medicine and community-based healthcare model to help solve some of the biggest challenges facing medicine today, such as chronic disease and chronic mental health issues, access to affordable care, the challenge of loneliness, social isolation and emotional health. And indeed, we are without a doubt, in a chronic disease crisis. So never before in human history has our statistics for lifestyle-related chronic disease ever been so bad. In Australia, we have 50% of people living with at least one chronic disease and our primary healthcare system is really on the verge of collapse with workplace burnout at the highest level ever seen. But, James, you feel like you've got a solution that you call community care or Community Cure, actually, sorry. Tell us about Community Medicine and Community Cure. What does it mean? Yeah, I appreciate it. So I guess the last time I was on this podcast a few years ago, you know, we had been uh, making efforts for really about a decade, but particularly the last few years, to try and make it more uh, palatable and easier for doctors to learn to practice this new operating system of medicine that, you know, I like functional medicine because there's a specific system where you could have practitioner teams, but ultimately it's a lifestyle first root cause approach. And, you know, I think the reason why that's so valuable is because the elegance of the solution, you know, I don't mean to tell everyone who's, who's on here that the elegance of the solutions provided, you know, creating long-term self-efficacy in patients and empowering them towards participating in their health, that is a worthy goal. But ultimately, Mm. um, I came to a conclusion in 2018 that the delivery of that medicine is so inefficient, right? Long appointments with doctors, um, you know, that, that ultimately it could never become the new standard of care. It was always too inefficient. And, and the biggest thing that I realized is that if we're going to build a whole new health system based on people making lifestyle behavior changes, you know, we're not, we're not delivering it in a way that sets patients up for success. Mm. Because I think we can all understand that, you know, a patient could come in, you could spend an hour and a half with them, giving them a great workup, really giving them new understanding about the root cause of their health conditions. And they would go back into their community where they don't feel supported, where they're the only person they know who has the same kind of chronic illness, and they just can't execute the protocol. 
And even if yeah. they do execute the protocol for a month or two while the symptoms are severe and while there's a sort of an acuteness of the issue, that that fades away, you know, over time and they go back to the old habits. And ultimately, yeah. I just realized, like, the question I want everyone to ask themselves who's listening to this is, if someone engages with you for an episode of care, three months, six months, nine months, 12 months, whatever it is, what is the health outcomes of that patient five years down the road? You know, have mm. we created a real change in direction of health for this person that is permanent, or have they just tried some supplements and lifestyle for a bit to get their chronic issues to go away and sort of gone back to their usual habits. Now, that question really was on my mind, um, you know, three years ago. And ultimately, the combination of, of, of really being fiercely committed to answering that question and also trying to create or, you know, come to a structure that could really become the standard of care, uh, I, I came to see that group-delivered functional medicine, group-delivered integrative medicine, you know, really solved both of those problems simultaneously yeah. in that it was I efficient I... enough to be delivered at, at scale and also it was the right structure for patients to actually do the changes. Look, I think, I mean, you know, I don't think that you would have many functional or lifestyle medicine practitioners, naturopaths, GPs, exercise physiologists that would disagree with you. I think a lot of the frustration that we all feel is that that deficiency in helping someone achieve uh, a long-term goal and getting them to sign up for a six-month program, three-month program, 12-month program, or whatever a person kind of designs, which is really how lifestyle behaviour change needs a time-honoured system that takes them through the micro changes, the societal changes, et cetera, to achieve that goal. But uh, what I loved about your book, there was a, a small community in California that almost started on a, a whim and it became an incredibly effective program which now has a book dedicated to the program called The Daniel Plan. Tell us about The Daniel Plan and why, why was that so effective? Yeah, the Daniel Plan um, started when the pastor of a huge church, a mega church, which they have over here in, in America, um, was ridiculously overweight and came to Dr. Hyman and Dr. Amen, you know, wanting help. And he got help seeing them each individually because he's very wealthy and he could see them individually. And he was like, look, my, my congregation have the same issues. So what they recognized when they looked to come up with a plan was that the whole congregation came to church on a Sunday, I think uh, 15,000 people, Whoa. but also they met on Wednesday nights. On Wednesday nights, they had Bible study, and they met in groups of five, small groups in each other's homes and in other locations. And so what they decided to do is to create a healthy curriculum that went into those groups that was Christian-based, because everyone there was Christian, um, but that also introduced people to the fundamentals of health creation and then used that structure as sort of an accountability group. And the results were tremendous. And it wasn't inside the healthcare system, it was just in a social structure. So there you get, like, healthy curriculum delivered in a group structure, and you have incredible outcomes. I think they lost 250,000 pounds between oh 15,000 people. So it's an average of, I think, 16 or 17 pounds, like 10 kilos each on average. 
And, um, you know, then there was obviously reversal of chronic illness. So it was a tremendous success. Yeah, well, I mean, this is what you speak of. I loved also that term salutogenesis that you spoke about a sociologist, Professor you know, talking about health from a cultural perspective, and I think we often miss that. We acknowledge as practitioners that we need to take in people's beliefs and their their culture. But really, fundamentally, how we look at social health and cultural health, as opposed to just individual care, talk us through salutogenesis in healthcare. Like what, in your ideal eyes, would that look like? Well, you know, I think one of the things that any practitioner who's been in the space for any real, you know, amount of time realizes is that, you know, the chiropractor and the acupuncturist and the clinical nutritionist and the lifestyle-focused MD are all doing something that's fundamentally different than a drug-first approach in healthcare. There's a there's a different goal, and ultimately, you know, um, you know that medicine in the way that it's practiced in Western medicine is disease-focused. Uh, it's focused on the disease. We start with the disease. We, um, you know, we have a, a way of determining what the disease is, and then there's a protocol for that disease. And that's disease, you know, centric medicine, pathogenesis. Salutogenesis is health creation built around health. So, you know, if you look at all of those professions and all of the ancient medicine, it was really salutogenesis. It was inspiring people to participate in their health. It was doing the fundamentals of health creation. And I just kind of recognize that 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 idea, which, you know, is popular in the naturopathic circles. You know, Joe Pizzorno talks a lot about uh, salutogenesis, Mm. you know, really regularly. But that was sort of like a uh, a binding factor that brought together all of the practitioners in the space. And ultimately, you know, group visits are really all in alignment with uh, salutogenesis because it's mm. inspiring people to participate and, and do the fundamentals of health creation in order to reverse chronic illness. And I think, too, it's just congruent. So how we live our life, how we socialise, how we shop, how we exercise – becomes like a cultural normality. So we then normalise good health rather than it being a, a fad that you go through or this person's fanatically healthy or I'm not or we tend to fragment and, and compartmentalise what we think health is. But I loved the story about Dr Geller, which you wrote in your book, and I thought this was really beautiful because I've been fascinated by this epidemic of, of loneliness and Beyond Blue in 2019, which is our federal charity um, to help support mental health, released statistics that found one in five 18 to 25-year-olds felt lonely. And this was before the pandemic even occurred. So we know that loneliness is a bigger risk factor for heart disease than smoking is. So it's an incredibly powerful negative influence on health, even in young people. And so community care is often touted as this innovative and creative solution to loneliness, but obviously we can't really promote <laughs> a loneliness cure because not really very many people will sign sign up for it. But tell us about the role that community medicine or shared medical appointments have in trying to combat the epidemic of loneliness. Yeah, absolutely. As I mentioned earlier, I just I feel like most most chronic illness um, you know, even if we send people home with a protocol, they're not meeting other people who are like them where they can, you know, recreate friendships around healthy behaviors. 
And when I first heard of, you know, Dr. Geller's story, the first time I interviewed him, I spoke to him. I was like, man, I got to write this book because this guy just oozes credibility. And, you know, he's run groups, some of which have lasted for 20 years. They start off as a diabetes reversal group, but you know, even after they finish billing insurance and, you know, that this group continues because the community really values, you know, what they get out of the sessions. So he identified that, yeah, loneliness was the biggest driver of all-cause mortality and that you could, if if you started a group, you could not only solve for loneliness, but then also the group could be this sort of um, adherence solution for everyone to do the healthy behavior. So you sort of had a a synergistic um, delivery system. And that's that's really the power of the groups. You're solving the biggest driver of all-cause mortality, more than nutrition, more than smoking, more than alcohol. It's mm. shown that social stress is such a driver. But also when you get people in groups and when the groups last a long time, like if the groups can last three months, six months, nine months, 12 months, there's enough time to create new friendships and build structures for accountability, mentorship. I think mentorship is a huge thing. You know, there's a rise in the U.S. of health coaches. And what is a health coach, right? It's not quite, it's definitely not a health professional, but Mm. it's not really just a regular person. It's sort of like a halfway house. And we found in the last year and a half that health coaches are almost like the equivalent of the mentor in Alcoholics Anonymous, right? They're Mm. someone who has typically reversed their own chronic illness and now wants to help other people. The health coach is the perfect person to lead the group because groups create, they, they're able to be a lot more vulnerable when they feel they're in a room of people just like them. And that yeah, coach right. can sometimes be the missing link where maybe a doctor or even a clinical nutritionist can be a little bit of an expert and you need a peer to yeah. really um, build that trust. Definitely. Because you talk a lot about, um, you, you go through Nancy Klein's 10 points a book called Time to Think, and you go through her 10 points on developing and facilitating a powerful group. And I, I just looked at them again uh, yesterday just to, to refresh my memory of them, but they were just profound, her her way of actually collecting that top 10. Let's go through a few of them. So the first one was um, attention and listening. So she has a beautiful exercise that she teaches people about listening, but often we think that we're listening to others, but creating this sacred space within a group that when you talk, no one else can actually speak at the same time. There's no, uh uh-huh. There's no, yes, that's the same that happened with me. It's just this space of pure listening that can be such a profound healing mechanism for people. Absolutely. And uh, I've interviewed a few people who have said things along the lines of like, if if really listening to a patient can, you know, kick in the placebo response. And that's one of the things that we know is that one of the reasons why doing an hour initial appointment for patients with a regular mm. naturopathic doctor or functional medicine can be so profound for the patient is they've never been listened to, right? Yeah. The doctor normally cuts in after 14 seconds to tell them what's going on. And so yeah. imagine what it's like now to have, 16 people really listen Mm. to you or 20 people really listen to you. Like the compound effect of just being heard and, 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 and validated through that process is is super powerful. So, you know, we're we're looking to deliver the maximum effect of that. I think there's nothing stronger and more elegant than a group. 
It'd be amazing to actually do the biology, you know, the the almost neurobiology or pathophysiology of that in terms of like seeing people's cortisol levels go down or or inflammation markers. I mean, it'd be an amazing study. But the other one that I loved was equality. So she talks about everybody having this sense of equal time because there is this unspoken inequality within our community. And I love the fact that she weaved in that sense of equality within the group. So everybody has the same time, the same resources, the same opportunities to speak, to listen, etc. I thought that was a really beautiful part that would probably have a very profound effect on the healing essence um, as well. Yeah, even if you don't use that time to just know that you have it can be healthy Mm, as well. That's right. And I think I loved also her sense of she has this um, towards the end of her top 10, the number nine was developing a sense of place. And she spoke about how a lot of patients or a lot of clients feel out of place within the, the system. So they just feel so overwhelmed by the system. They don't feel like they belong. And she had this terminology that the group creates a feeling of you matter And again, it's that same sort of sense of equality and listening, this profound ability to be seen and to be listened to, to be heard, but to also just hold space for yourself while your community also does that too. One of the things that I found when I started using shared group appointments was trying to get people over the line. And, you know, a lot of people are like, "Mm, okay, that's good for some, but not really, I'm not really a group person, I don't like to share. How does one, if if some of the practitioners out there are thinking like I was, like this is such a great idea, how do we start, what would your recommendations be? That's a great point. And, you know, I think one of the things that um, certainly in the US, most functional medicine practitioners, you know, were paid cash. They kind of opted out of insurance or the system. And particularly those patients are reticent to pay for a group now because they've been so used to paying for like someone's expertise. So, you know, we've, we've found in the last year and a half that, you know, we started to create structures to go after all the people who have never had access to functional and and lifestyle medicine and find that those people are really ready and excited to be part of it. That's one Mm. thing. But, you know, for those practitioners who, who want to do it, here's what I found. So, I interviewed this um, this nurse practitioner here in the U.S., and she used to uh, she used to make sure that every single patient who came into her practice had to go through an orientation. That was her that was her um, what she said was super efficient for her practice. So once a week, any new patient that called would have to come to this orientation. And when she started doing her orientation, it was basically her talking for an hour. And then she handed it over to her front desk, and it was just sort of all the details of of this kind of medicine and what's expected. And then over time, what she found is that what if, you know, instead of taking the whole hour, what if we just do 15 or 20 minutes of like, hey, this is what happens in the practice, but then actually just start to ask the people in the room, hey, what's going on for you? And almost do a bit of a micro group visit right there in the orientation. What they found is that, and probably what you found as well, that as soon as people get over the hump, and they realize mm. that other patients are just like them and they have an opportunity to voice what's going on for them and an opportunity to hear from other people who are just like them, then mm. they're hooked. But there is that yeah. initial resistance. 
And so that orientation, I thought, was a great way um, to overcome that resistance and give people a little taste of what it likes to be in that kind of container. Yeah, I think that's such a fantastic idea because it's almost like the doorway in and you're introducing them to a whole different way of conducting healthcare. And so this this doesn't just apply to the, the medical system. What I loved also in your book, you know, talking about, you know, all healthcare practitioners can really adhere to these kind of shared group style appointments like naturopaths and nutritionists, chiropractors, psychologists, you know, exercise physiologists. This does apply to all of us. Have you got some examples of of people in the US that are using this that are not in that mainstream category? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's really interesting to see. I mean, even in the UK and in the US, um, definitely examples of people starting groups. I mean, you know, group coaching has been done, um, you know, sort of online by all kinds of coach entrepreneurs ultimately connecting it to the medical system is is really valuable but mm-hmm. um yeah i want to give i just want to give everyone an example of something that was really I, I spoke about in my book that i think is the most kind of transformational concept because it actually takes it beyond the health system and into the world um i mentioned that uh, dr joel khan who is a who's a cardiologist and he had a patient who was telling him it was hard for him to make the lifestyle changes. So they they started together this thing called the uh, plant-based nutrition support group. So it was really like, how do you get men to eat vegetables, which I'm sure many people <laughs> who are listening to this yep. have, have struggled with. And ultimately, through they, they started a Facebook group, and they thought, you know, they could get a few dozen men who, who might be interested. And, it's, you know, at least it started from, from Dr. Khan's practice. But mm. within six months, they had 7,000 men who had signed up. <laughs> really? And ultimately, wow. you know, they you know, and they, they turned that into lots of small meetup groups. And then they had like mm. an annual event where they would get some cardiologist or some big name to come in. But ultimately, that was completely free, not part of the medical system. And, mm. you know, had a huge impact on the men who were part of it because, by and large, they were lonely. By and large... They didn't cook for themselves or they, they weren't married and they had a hard time, you know, cooking for themselves. So it was providing this sort of like full spectrum biopsychosocial solution for zero mm. cost that was valuable to everyone. And, you know, just imagine the impact on your medical practice or your clinic if you were to just, you know, engage and, and try something like that in your community. We have all of the resources, the technology to be able to you know, bring people together, even virtually. Um, uh, but, you know, all we need to do is really take that that path. And sometimes your patients might be willing to do the, like, legwork to make it happen. But there's certainly a need out there. There's certainly a desire. Yeah. And if you can fulfill that desire, you know, you can become the center of your community, an indisposable resource for help. Yeah, it's fantastic, isn't it? I mean, that's the one positive thing that came out of this COVID-19 pandemic was this... Uh, adaptability to technology and groups and people just signing up. You know, there's just this incredible wealth of knowledge out there, but finding that central core, you know, just choosing either one or, you know, two groups to kind of be a part of. Tell us about uh, embracing technology for this kind of group visits. Well, look, the book came out January 2020 and (laughs) I was all gung-ho about 
you know, convincing the world that they should do functional medicine groups only to find that, you know, groups were no longer possible two months later. And not just the, like, not just the functional medicine group movement that was on its very, you know, earliest days, but also, you know, what about Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, Narcotics Anonymous, addiction groups, like all Mm. just destroyed overnight, essentially. Mm. And so... You know, we started to think straight away, like, we want to learn, you know, how to do this virtually. Because I had some ideas that, you know, that virtual groups could work, but I didn't really know whether there'd be any advantage to doing it virtually. And so um, we started in the summer of 2020 over here, very soon afterwards, putting together um, some groups to learn, okay, could we take um, a multi-stage, a multi-week group, teach people about anti-inflammatory diets, and then ultimately to see if we could actually create healthy behaviors in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that worked really well. And we actually discovered a few interesting things that I think your listeners would like to know. So, you know, when you do an in-person group, let's say you do a group every week for five weeks and they come into your office and they meet at your office. Like, first of all, there's definitely some, like, lift to having to come to your office and drive across town to get to the group, right? There's some, there's some um, inaccessibility that, yeah. that happens. Yep. You know, certainly a lot of practitioners that I've spoken to have resisted doing groups because they're like, well, there's not even 20 spots in my car park. Like, I don't even know yeah. how, where people would park. Just things like that. If that's holding back the development of these group processes, why not do it online? Especially now people are used to doing telemedicine. Mm. They like it. They feel like it respects their time. So let's try it. So one thing we learned is that if you do a virtual group, you don't just get the attention of the patient when they're in your office. You get their attention actually 24-7. Like if you Mm. have a group every week and in the middle of the week you send them a video to watch and comment on, they watch it because they're engaged into the group and you're actually getting a lot more sort of engagement from them. And ultimately it's that engagement that really makes the impact, you know, that really changes behavior. So that was a big thing. Like a digital first experience means that you sort of have more attention from the, the patients in between the sessions. Also, you know, what are we really doing here? What we're really doing is environmental medicine. Mm. And the number one environment that people live in, especially during COVID, is their home. Mm. And one of the things that's been really amazing is being, you know, doing a group visit in a home where you can actually now see what is in someone's home. Right? If they tell you, look, I've mainly been eating salads, and you say, well, look, let's just go and look at the fridge. (laughs) You know, (laughs) you can see what's actually going on. Right, and yeah. if it's only beer in the fridge, you, you might have maybe, you might have some people um, turning off their video at that particular time and <laughs> claiming a uh, I'm, electricity I'm strike. I'm not saying do that on the first session. You may have <laughs> to build right. credibility and build trust first. Yeah, but, for sure. You know, in reality, like being able to see a little bit of what people's life is like, you know, mm. it gives you a window into that. And I think telemedicine does allow us that, allows us to see people in their environment and can give us a lot of clues to really, you know, understanding people's life and coming up with solutions that can help them. But in that group environment, it can be, it can be really valuable as well. So what we learned over the last two years is that, you know, is that virtual groups do work, that people like the virtual groups, and that ultimately it reduces 
many, many points of friction to people actually engaging in groups, and not just patients engaging in groups, but practitioners who actually start to want to run groups. And so yeah. I'm very bullish about virtual groups as a way to, you know, sort of complement mm. the um, delivery of of integrative and functional medicine. That's right. And I think, I mean, one of the things that I found really interesting in the research, so there was a an article in the Medical Journal of Australia, I think published around two years ago, that basically on the pilot program that was done in northern New South Wales. And what they found was that there was, of the practitioners that did it, something like 95% of the practitioners felt that their job satisfaction had increased dramatically. And they brought that back into their one-on-one practice. So the fact that they had these groups maybe once or twice a week was, you know, they found they were looking forward to it. They found that it was such an inspiring addition to their practice that they felt less stressed, uh, less burnt out, more enthusiastic, more effective. Did some of the research in the States mirror that for you as well? So it's not just about the patients getting the, the result, it's also about the practitioners feeling better about what they're delivering, how they're helping the community. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, like you get to see patients transform over a period of time, which is amazing. But yeah, there's research out of Mayo Clinic that says that if you just spend 20% of your working time doing something that you really enjoy, that can reduce your chances of burnout significantly. And Mm. so what we found actually is that, you know, for practitioners who take some of this on and actually go into it, that they really enjoy it, they're able to do something different, and that ultimately, um, by spending you know time doing that, they're able to feel uh, a lot stronger um, about their life and their work, and it kind of breaks up the monotony of the one-on-one appointments, which is kind of a grind. And so, yeah. I think um, many practitioners have enjoyed enjoyed doing it, or know enjoyed knowing that their patients are getting it. Mm. That's right. And I think, I mean, I love the fact that when I started looking into this, I mean, this concept isn't new. I mean, the Mayo Clinic and the Cleveland Clinic, the two most arguably famous clinics in the world, have been doing group shared appointments for how long? 30, 40 years? Yeah, exactly. Well, Dr. Geller started, I think, in the late 90s when he just came out into work. But there had been, you know, different groups being delivered since the early 90s. Um, But, yeah, I mean, Alcoholics Anonymous goes back to the 1920s and 30s. Mm. So, you know, one way or another, people have recognized the power of of this. Um, But I I would imagine, if I had to guess and we go 20 years into the future or even 10 years, my hope is that, you know, we would look back at the sort of first iteration of professionally driven natural medicine, right, naturopathy, um, functional medicine, integrated medicine, and realize that we were not really setting patients up for success by not giving them the right container and support for transformation. And I guess I, there's one thing that I, I've learned about this that I want to share is that I think what we've done is we've we've made it easy for certain personality types to get healthy, right? Those patients that for whatever reason, personality type or just desperation are in such bad shape that they just do everything that you tell them. But mm. there's a certain other group in the population that need a little bit more proof, 
and that want to, you know, want to see other people have success before they jump in. They're just, you know, sort of not an early adopter of anything. When you put those two people, types of people in a group together, the people who are the quick starts, who just run with the, the beginning, they inspire the other people to participate because the other people see the early people starting, you know, just going with it and getting great results. And then maybe when those first early people kind of burn out because they go start quick but they can't sustain, <laughs> yeah. they get that's the sustaining right. energy from the other people who are slower to start but can sustain. And that's the power of these like multi-month groups where they last mm. for six months or longer in that you actually start to feel this whole container happen where the different personality types become a benefit to everyone. And that's why, you know, in the, in the project that I've been working on to deliver virtual groups, the outcomes are so tremendous. And part of the reason I feel is that everyone is participating because everyone is inspired by either someone else in the group or the coach or more than likely everyone in the group. Mm. I think that's such a good point, James, because I think, you know, for those people that are resistant to join up, we, we have no idea of the power that is within that group. And I mean, there's a lot of research on group dynamics and and how a group can build in its energy. It's almost like, you know, one plus one equals 10 within a group. And the fact that we've got so many, so much diversity within our society, whether it's educational levels or intellect or sporting prowess or, you know, the early adopters, all of these different kind of facets of our personalities and our strengths and our weaknesses come together to create this incredible sense of connection. And I I think we don't look at relationship health enough, you know, the relationship between each of us within our society. I mean, we talk about the health of an intimate relationship, sure, or a family relationship, but the health of a society sends to, we just haven't really made that connection between our individual health and our society's health. And, you know, we're wired for connection and we're wired for protection. I just love the fact that you mentioned, you know, some of those people that can, you know, bring someone forward and then that that person that has been brought forward and, you know, if the stronger one then has a little dip, then, you know, they can be the inspiring one. That's such a beautiful image of of how we can all get better together. Yeah, the, the name of the book was, you know, the, the subtitle was uh, Transforming Health Outcomes Together. And, you know, as we've really jumped into this, I've seen that, you know, not, not only is this a great health intervention, but this is actually a great societal intervention too, you know, to mm-hmm. have groups with different ethnic backgrounds and different socioeconomic statuses united around their chronic illness and wanting to overcome their chronic illness and working together to overcome the chronic illness, that's mm. real. You know, that has been really profound. And, yeah. you know, these groups have have created, especially in, you know, in, in the groups that we've seen that focused around, you know, chronic illness, we've seen real relationships develop that never would have developed, you know, in, in without this kind of connection. And and for, for those doctors and practitioners and naturopathic doctors who are listening, you know that those patients are in your mind. If you think about your patient population, you probably know that you have these different kind of patients from different groups. Imagine if they were together, you know, once a month, once a week, and starting to build friendships and starting to support each other and implementing the protocol that you gave them. Like, mm. that's powerful medicine. It doesn't need to cost a lot. 
and it can really um, exponentially increase your practice outcomes. Absolutely. And I think the cost is really important as well. I mean, as you, you mentioned in the introduction that integrative medicine can be an expensive way to impart lifestyle medicine, functional medicine. That one-on-one care is much more expensive than this group work. And so we're basically sharing costs, sharing stories, sharing human connection. And so it's this sense of financial burden that is shared as well. But the outcomes are even better. I think that's the thing when I read the research from the Medical Journal of Australia is that 97% of people felt that they would choose a group over one-on-one after they had joined one, which I thought was incredible. And then, but also the effectiveness of the healthcare was much better than that one-on-one care. So it's not just better for the practitioner and, and, and a better feeling. It's not just a feel-good medicine. It's actually much more effective in terms of sustaining that, but also just all of the other intangibles or immeasurables that come with it. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, there is. There are immeasurable benefits uh, for sure, um, and that's. I think that's. Yeah, that's really well said. Thanks, James, for spending time with us today and exploring this what we can call visionary model of care. I know when I first came across it, I was like, "This is absolutely inspiring," and I'm sure all of the practitioners listening can think of at least several of our patients or, you know, even 50s to hundreds of our patients that would benefit from this style of care. And I hope that this conversation is really the impetus that can make some of us really take that leap into this shared group um, format. So you've just done the most wonderful job putting a book out there that can, you know, I, I highly recommend it because there's just so much in it in order to inspire you because I love the fact that lots of different practitioners did it in their own particular way and so there's no one format or one size that fits all. Yeah, that's right. It was great to pull on all of the different examples from so many different sort of niches of medicine Um, and I would say, you know, one of the most exciting things is that, you know, the the book, the, the implementation is still going on and there's more innovation that's happened in the last two years. And I would say, yeah, this movement really sits on the shoulders of those people, those doctors, those practitioners that um, sort of went about it when the when the coast wasn't clear, right? They didn't really understand what they were doing, but they just felt sort of compelled to try it. And so much of the success is built on their shoulders. I've tried to sort of hold them up as the heroes of the book for, for doing that work. And there's many, many heroes to... Um, you know, to, to celebrate. But I think people listening to this could be the next generation hero because ultimately yeah. bringing it to your community, bringing it to your country, your state, um, is still up for grabs because it's, mm. it's reached zero percent of its potential, this movement, at this point. That's right. So, yeah, you know, it's up to all of us to take it forward. So we're all pioneers. It's just fantastic. Thanks so much for your time today, James. Thank you. And for anyone that's interested, you can download for free a copy of an audiobook, The Community Cure, at thecommunitycure.com forward slash audiobook. Thanks, everyone, for listening today. Don't forget that you can find all the show notes, the transcript, and other resources from today's episode on the FX Medicine website. I'm Dr. Michelle Woolhouse, and thanks for joining us. See you next time. 
This podcast is intended as healthcare practitioner education only, and it is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hi, this is Dr. Damien Christoph. Join us on FX Medicine next week, where I'll be talking to sports naturopath Kate Smythe about sports naturopathy, iron deficiency, and nutritional approaches to an athlete's performance. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and follow us on social media to make sure you never miss an episode.